This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Mondays mean the great E.J. Raddick. How are you? I am good. Great, Don LaGreca. Uh, it was a busy, crazy weekend, and then we had even more news right off the hop on Monday. So it's, uh, you know, a news that obviously impacts Rangers fans. So it's been a busy, busy few days yeah let's jump uh, right over there best laid plans right you got a whole weekend to kind of recap and then this story comes down the pike and i'm sure you're aware of the story by now our temi panarin yeah. is going to take a leave of absence from the new york rangers after there was a, a story about him beating up an 18 year old girl back in 2011 when panarin was 19 years old and according to panarin that is a hit um story to make up for him having some negative words about Vladimir Putin in an interview uh, not too long ago and we kind of know this from anybody that's been following the news this is not a surprise way that that government operates and works but it's a really tough spot for the Rangers EJ for a bunch of reasons because it doesn't necessarily mean the story isn't true so they have thrown every bit of support to Panarin Panarin says that there is there's no truth to the story whatsoever but I think in this day and age, I think organizations kind of have to tread lightly, correct? Yes, I would completely agree with that. I mean, I was just speaking to somebody about that very circumstance. And while like, my opinion, uh, you know, my opinion is that I, I, I have a hard time believing that it's true. Right. It's nearly impossible for any individual to prove something like that isn't true. You know, like, it's one thing to, you know, you, you you end up having to either take the word of the person or have the person who has made the allegations uh, basically recant them. But how do you go about proving without beyond a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't true? I mean, all you can do is say, you know, I deny these situations, show me proof. The person has to bring somebody forward that would... There has to be some kind of record of this happening. Uh, the person that was involved would have to be willing to tell the story. And even if they are telling the story, are they credible? Right, exactly. So it's a very, very difficult... I mean, it's a difficult world we live in now for a number of reasons. Obviously, if these allegations and this story were to be true, that is a very serious circumstance that should be taken very seriously, obviously. But... The old, as we say here, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty on anything. And like, there's very, there's a lot of reasons to believe that this story is exactly what Panarin says it is, which is kind of a hit piece for his opinionated statements right. or uh, you know his statements that he's made about uh, Vladimir Putin in the past, and he's made a couple of them. And he had an Instagram post recently, according to the story from Larry Brooks, who broke the story, by the way, um, about an Instagram post on January 21st, first kind of backing the uh, Evgeny, uh, no, it's uh, Alexei Navalny, I believe it is, who is a uh, who is an, a, a leader of the. Uh, has become a leader or become a figure of, of interest and power in, in Russia based on his, uh, obviously, feelings of uh, disagreement with Vladimir Putin. I guess I'm not speaking this very well, but the bottom line is, so he, you know, that's a recent commentary on Instagram from, um, from Panarin, 
And so now we have this story, and uh, the story is pushed forward by a player, by a guy who's a co- former coach in the KHL that played in the NHL and uh, has been pro-Putin in the past. And there's a benefit in Russia to being pro-Putin and to look to curry favor with him. So, you know, really hard to know what to make of it, but it is a difficult story in the world we live in to to disprove beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know. it, And that's just the stuff for us and for the Rangers to have to deal with. But Panarin, you know, he's got family still in Russia. You know, so this is a very, very difficult time for him. So that's why he's taking the leave of absence because hockey obviously becomes secondary when you're talking about family being in Russia, when you're talking about your reputation being uh, um, destroyed in this sense. So we'll have to keep an eye on it and see that, you know, because it does also sound like something Russia would do, uh, paying off to make this story go away and then kind of used as ammunition later on. So there's a lot of things that have to go into it. I, You know, it's just a very difficult spot for the NHL because this is obviously serious allegations, right, that cannot be tolerated if true. And as easy as it is for us to dismiss it out of hand, knowing the history of this country, the way that they've treated players. Remember, you know, uh, with Pavel Bore being extorted when he was in Vancouver. I mean, there's just a lot of things. We are not in the era of defection, but the arm of Russia still is very long. The tentacles are still very long with these players that, that, that are free. So... A lot of moving parts to it, but you know, in the end, the last thing the Rangers need too—a team that's won a couple of games in a row—they lose uh, their best player. But again, that's secondary and tertiary stuff when you're talking about the life of somebody. Because if this if this story is not true, EJ, uh, I can't imagine what that must be like to have to defend yourself against allegations this large against a country like that. That must be almost impossible. Yeah, it's it's. I would think it would, you know, they say the Rangers said, I believe in their statement that, uh, you know, Artemi has been shaken by this, and I can understand that. I mean, it's very, very significant. There might be more layers to the story. Uh, I know Isabel Kasherdian, who used to cover the Washington Capitals, is now covers uh, Russia and from Moscow. She is, uh, she's over there. She's their bureau reporter there. And, you know, she kind of weighed in that it's not gaining a lot of traction in Russia at this point. Um, but she feels like there could be more to the story, which there obviously is. There's just more to the background of the story, why it comes out, you know, whether it's a legitimate story or not, mm-hmm. you know, family members over there. What, there's just a lot to it and a lot to unwrap, and so much so that, I mean, the, for a player of his ilk to take a leave of absence from his team, I mean, that tells you right there how significant it is, and the fact that the Rangers are in full support I think also tells you how significant it is as well. Yeah, the Rangers are a very professional organization that is going to do everything that they can within their power to get all the information. Here is the statement, in case anybody didn't read it. Artemi uh, vehemently and unequivocally denies any or all allegations in this fabricated story. This is clearly an intimidation tactic being used against him for being outspoken on recent political events. Artemi is obviously shaken and concerned and will be taking some time away from the team. The Rangers fully support Artemi and will work with him to identify the source of these unfounded allegations. So that's exactly where yeah. the Rangers stand on this. So, yeah, uh, More to uh, come, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just absolutely crazy. And, and just to clean up what I said earlier about Alexei Navalny, who is the, uh, you know, he's kind of the... Uh, you know, he is in, he's been imprisoned right now over in Russia. He has spoken out against Putin, and 
you know, that's kind of the background of what the Instagram post was by Panarin on the 21st of January, according to Larry Brooks. And the caption, I believe, was freedom for Navalny. So, right. you know, there's there's a lot going on. And I mean, in the, you know, people always say, Don, right? People always tell you, they tell me, they tell everybody. It's like, well, stick to sports. And I get it. You know, I completely get it. I mean, people come to us for uh, news about the sports we cover. And uh, they might not be interested in what opinions we have as citizens. And that's, I think, uh, a fair criticism. I say that, you know, hey, I am a citizen. I have an opinion on things. And if I want to voice it, luckily in this country I have the ability to do that. And that's my choice to determine whether or not I do. Um, But it just goes to show you that in the world we live in, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen politics have an issue and, and, and unsettle the New York Rangers, between the Tony D'Angelo situation, which had some ties to his political beliefs, not all, but had some background there, and now this situation with Artemi Panarin. So the world is changing dramatically, uh, and I, I said it a couple of years ago, and it's even more so now, the world is really changing under my feet, yeah. and it's changing under all of our feet. And uh, so we'll see what happens with this. I hope the best for Artemi, and, uh, you know, and I hope that the story isn't true. I have no reason to believe it is true at this point. But again, you know, you have to, we have to look into these things and, and, and try to find out more information. That's it. Try to get whatever information we can. But in the truest sports sense, he is away from the team for an indefinite period of time. Rangers do not play again until Wednesday. I don't think this will clear itself up over the next 48 hours, you wouldn't think. So, the Rangers will try to figure it out from there. All right, let's try to dive into some of the actual games. Okay. Just, just okay. your impressions of Lake Tahoe. I know there were a lot of issues, obviously, with the sun and all that, and it didn't go exactly as the NHL had hoped. But you know what I did see, I enjoyed. And when uh, when the sun was up, uh, that was some pretty breathtaking sights. Yeah, I mean, they've done 30 or so outdoor games. And every time they take these games outdoors, there's risk in terms of, you know, how the weather is going to be. I can remember uh, other games getting moved around or postponed. Uh, I can remember being in Washington for the Capitals and Blackhawks, and we thought the game was going to get pushed back for the, because of the sun, and in that case they went forward with the game in those conditions, and they got through the game, you know, pretty good. Uh, there was no issues. It ended up being a good game that was decided late, but... There's always risk, and the league, I think, operates with the idea that they want to keep the, the, the players safe and give them a, a safe environment to, to play, and uh, I think that's what they did in this case. They were hoping for just that right mix of uh, clouds and to have, I'm sure, NBC and the, and the different television partners were hoping to play uh, you know, in, that, in a daylight scenario where you could see the magnificent vistas and uh, mm-hmm. scenery in the background there. So that's because people say, why didn't they just play at night? And the reason is that they wanted, you know, they wanted people to see this. That was the, so unique about it. It's such a breathtaking uh, area in Lake Tahoe. Um, I think the game that was played last night uh, between the Flyers and the Bruins, they moved that back kind of, you know, they were moving it back bit by bit. And even when they started, it was very difficult because of the shadowing from the trees and the sunlight but once, about eight, ten minutes into that game, once the sun went over uh, the Sierra Mountains, it was spectacular because you still had enough light right. to see 
everything that was, you know, the, the backdrop to this event. So, you know, I give the NHL a lot of credit. I mean, they went out here. There's no fans, right? So this is a sponsorship TV shit thing driven by that. Uh, they put this together. It was something that's really unique. Uh, probably, who knows if we'll ever see something like this again. And, uh, you know, I think for the most part, it went really well. I mean, yeah, there was a delay. They had to wait several hours to play the, the second half of the game on Saturday. But, uh, you know, those are the, that's what happens when you play outside with hockey. I mean, it could have rained, and that would have been a problem. And too much sun uh, can also be a problem for the ice service, and that was the case on Saturday. But there was some there was some spectacular moments. I think the teams handled it all well, and I give the league credit for trying to be light on its feet and to react to the the circumstances at hand. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty spectacular to see, and it was unfortunate, obviously, for fans on the East Coast having to wait until midnight to see the start of the second period between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. At least it was a Saturday night, so maybe. You're able to do that, and you know the game was not as competitive as you would have liked with Boston and Philadelphia, but still, it was. You know, you're trying different things, especially during you know this pandemic time, um, to try to see if you can't uh, get more eyeballs to the game. So, a for effort for sure, and it's just one of those unusual circumstances. But boy, that really looked really looked spectacular, and it kind of remind, it kind of felt like the movie The Godfather too. You know the beginning of Godfather Two. They've got the christening, right? And 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 that's that's the that's the setup, right? That's that's Lake Tahoe. That's the Sierra Mountains. And I, so I kind of and I'm such a big fan of that film. I kind of felt like it. Kind of I was kind of waiting, you know, looking the distance to see, you know, if Fredo's getting his head blown off in the lake. You know? <laughs> <Like that's... laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that would be unfortunate timing. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't see any. I didn't see anybody out in a rowboat out there. So uh, no, but uh, saying hell Mary. It was yes, yeah, and 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 in need of one for sure at that point. But uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was just some of the some of the shots were just so terrific. Uh, it was kind of amazing. So I you know I'm, I'm glad they did it, and you know nothing goes perfect these days as we as we know. But uh, they did a nice job with it. Yeah. I thought. They certainly did, and uh, Boston bounces back after a couple of regulation losses. Pasternak gets the hat trick. He's just, he's been incredible. You know, over the last 82 games, he would have 59 goals and 113 points. He, he's been terrific, and that, yeah. you know, it's tough to beat that line, isn't it, in the league? Yeah, I mean, they just have really unique chemistry. You know, you have the Bergeron, the kind of perfect player in the middle that, you know, it seems to always be in the right spot in all 200 feet of the ice. And you've got Marshand, who is uniquely talented, left shot that uh, can can get into different areas of the ice. And then you have Pasternak, who is a big, strong, right shot player that, uh, you know, again, a, a terrific goal scorer. Unique personalities to all three. And, uh, you know, they, call it, they don't call it the perfection line for nothing. And... Uh, you know, there's some good lines around the NHL, but, uh, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to do much better than those three. The other thing, I, I tweeted this out. I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, okay. I guess it was late Saturday about, geez, what what would these stats look like for McDavid and Matthews if they could play an 82-game schedule? And it got shot back to me, well, it's bogus because of the division they play in. So, you know, obviously you wouldn't, if you had an 82-game schedule, things would be normal. They certainly are taking advantage of a very wide-open north division 
where it doesn't seem like anybody plays defense at all and all those games end up being like 7-5 finals. But I don't want to take away from a guy that's got 18 goals in 18 games. I, I don't want to take away uh, what, you know McDavid's averaging basically two points a game. I, I get it, but we could have a legitimate shot, EJ, at 50-50 and 50 with, with McDavid, yeah. I, I think, I, with, with, um, with Matthews. I think that's certainly on the table, right? Even, even though it might be a little bit compromised because of the schedule. Well, I would say this. I mean, a couple of things. First of all, no one else is – I mean, like, Matthews has got these number of goals. No one else is doing that, right? So right. it's obviously not that easy because he's the only one that's doing it. Um, and the same with McDavid. I mean, and McDavid has done this before under different circumstances where he's had this kind of run. Now, that said, I find myself having a hard time measuring, let's say, the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Carolina Hurricanes or against the Vegas Golden Knights because of the fact that there's no common opponents this year, right? So they're playing in their own little bubbles, so to speak, in their own little little original six type or original eight, original seven, depending on which division they're in. And so because of that, the numbers do, they are impacted because you're seeing Ottawa, which is a really young team that, you know, there's nights like last night when they played Montreal and they got the win where they were good. There's other nights when they give up eight goals. Uh, Vancouver is not defending very well right now, at least at the start of the season. Um, you know, Calgary has had their ups and downs. So you're playing these teams a lot. So there's a chance to maybe add to your to your numbers through that scheduling. But you still have to really give the guy credit because, again, no one else has 18 goals in 18 games. And not, and not even close to that. I mean, I guess the next number is 12. I think McDavid has 12. Brock Besser, I think, has 12. Right. And so, yeah, we might see a more elevated numbers, specific, you know, particularly in the north where there seems to be more wide-open hockey at this point through the first, you know, 15, 18 games. But I think uh, that might change over the back half of the schedule. And, you know, it's just, it's just part of the circumstance we're in now. But that's the bigger problem for me, Donnie. It's not the numbers that guys are getting. I mean... I just have a hard time trying to figure out the Toronto Maple Leafs are way better than the Carolina Hurricanes yeah. or way better than the Vegas Golden Knights because they're, you know, they're playing in an entirely different circumstance right now. No, and that's going to be that's going to be fun for when these teams get out of their respective divisions in the playoffs because they'll be that complete unknown. Yep. You know, it'll be yeah. like baseball back in the day when you know the World Series matchup were teams that never played each other or football. You know, yeah. back in the, the old AFL NFL days, where you're going to have no, you're going to have nothing. There's no common thread. You're going to have to go back the year yeah. before to figure out all that yeah. out. Exactly. You read my mind. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. So that will be, you know, the it's going to be a unique playoff if and when we get there because we'll have all these, you know, we'll have these rivalry matchups that have built up over the course of the year. There are some teams, you know, let's just say, for example, the Leafs and the Canadians meet in the, uh, you know, the second round, which would be the championship of that division, right? Or the, yeah. you know, the, to get out of the division. And I know Nancy would be thrilled to see that, your wife, to see the Canadians in that circumstance. But, like, those teams would have, if they have a seven-game series, let's say, they could play 16 or 17 times over the course of a few months to get out. Of, of that, you know, of that, and then they get out, 
and then they get into a circumstance where they're playing teams they haven't played at all. So it's it's going to be a unique playoff. You know, hopefully we'll get there the way the right. world is going these days. But, uh, it will be unique in that fact. I mean, think about that. Like a Toronto and Montreal could end up playing 16, 17 times by the end of this over the course of what? January through May. I know. I mean, that's kind of, it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot yeah, of no, eight right there. No, it's it's a lot of craziness. And, and you know, uh, and, and the Biden administration has, you know, continued the, the, the border situation with Canada. Which we figured that they would, and and the NHL is certainly banking on by the time. Has, and, and Canada has continued it as well, by the way, on the other side. So, right, you know. But the yeah. but the point is, is that yeah, you because know, they're working mutually together, they're allies. So yeah. uh, I, I the the NHL is banking on by the time we get to the conference final that that will be gone because we were looking at the regular season ending around May. So you're probably looking somewhere close to June. That's the hope. But do we know that that will be the case when we get to June? It's already right. it's already almost, almost March. And do we know that like the team that comes out of the North Division, right? Right. It's going to align. The four teams come out. It's going to reseed, which I like as well. So you number one, the, the the team with the most points will play the team of the four with the fewest points, and the second and third teams will play the team that comes out of the North. How is that going to work? I mean, are they going to have? To, are we going to go into a bubble to play these playoffs? Are teams going to travel? Could a team like Toronto? Will they have the ability to have home ice in a playoff series if they were to win it in the North? Yeah. Like we don't know. Could somebody travel there and play? Like you know, could you go in and out? Thus far, that has been a no. So, so there's a lot. But right now, worst case scenario. I know. Well, worst case scenario would be we get to June. They 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 play through the first two rounds of the playoffs. We have our final four, the the champions of each division. But the travel restrictions are still in place. Well, then what that means is that the NHL would have to hit pause for two weeks, right? And then they'd have to find some place to play those games. Now, maybe maybe it doesn't have to be up in Canada. You know, maybe they can find some place in the states to do it. Um, but they'd have to find some place, and you'd have to delay because either the three teams would have to all go clear in Canada or the one Canadian team will have to clear to come back into the States, and you'd have to wait literally, I guess, whether it's 10 days or 14 days, I forget what it is at this point. Um, yeah. But you would probably have a significant delay between the second and third rounds. Yeah, it's possible. You're absolutely right. Which isn't so the end of the world. I mean, we, we've seen everything here during this pandemic. I mean, if yes, I guess we, we had, have. you know, maybe a great way to promote the games and everything else and kind of, you know, rest up or whatever after what would be a grueling schedule. But, you know, you get through it. It just, uh, I get, I get, anything can happen during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, I think that, you know, right now, I'm, as a hockey fan, I'm thrilled uh, that the teams are playing. And we have this to, you know, watch and to entertain us. We'll see what happens in world events between now and the end of the year, and we'll see where we go from there. But I guess the and this is another reason why you really got to be. I think you you've got to give you know tip your cap to the to Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and Steve Mayer and all the guys at the league, and then all the guys at the NHLPA, the players, the coaches. I mean, everybody involved with this. Because this is not an easy undertaking for anyone in these mm-hmm. in these circumstances, and uh, you know I know it's had a lot of bumps so far, but here we are. Yeah, we've moved along this far, and you know in all the sports, I would say the same thing about the other sports as well. I mean, it's a difficult undertaking 
in these circumstances, but uh, all the different sports leagues are trying their best to get through this, and we all march on, as they say. Were you surprised uh, Heeshear was named captain of the Devils? I was a little surprised at that. I was a little surprised. I reached out to Kenny Danico and asked him, and he thinks it's a good choice. So, you know, if there's anybody who knows, uh, has his, has his uh, finger on the pulse of the Devils, it's Kenny Danico. And, you know, Nico is, is uh, you know, he's a young veteran at this point. He was the first overall pick. Um, I know from watching him play at the World Juniors for the Czech team, he was, uh, excuse me, for the Swiss team, he was a leader of that group. And uh, so, you know, I can understand it. And obviously the people within their, their group there from the, you know, Tommy Fitzgerald and Lindy Ruff and everybody involved with the Devils, I mean, they would. there's a reason why they decided to make that decision. So uh, congratulations to Nico. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things play out for him. I mean, it hasn't been a great start to his, uh, his tenure as captain with the two losses, but... The Devils have been really competitive and, and kind of more fun to watch than uh, people might have imagined this year. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald made some nice little moves, bringing in some help on defense to kind of uh, to kind of fill the gap between some when some of the young players are going to you know move through their organization. Ty Smith has been really good, the former first round pick. I think they did wait the appropriate amount of time to get him into the lineup. And he's, uh, he's showing what he can do right now. Jack Hughes has stepped up, has taken it to another level. Uh, Nico just got back from injury. Um, so they've been more fun to watch this year than maybe people thought. And uh seems like it's a team that's moving in the right direction. And, you know, and Mackenzie Blackwood, you know, we talked, we talked a lot about, you know, Shesterkin and with the Rangers and Sorokin with the Islanders coming aboard and with Carter Hart with the Flyers as really great these great young goaltenders in this region. But Mackenzie Blackwood might be the best of all of them. I mean, if you just go by the numbers, it's hard to argue. And, uh, you know, so he's another big piece of the puzzle. I mean, if he can be the franchise goalie for the Devils moving forward, that's a big piece to have settled. And, uh, you know, it's not like a fluke. He was a second-round draft pick. So people thought he was a good goaltender, and he's proven to be just that. All right, anything else on your mind before we let you go? You said it was a crazy weekend before the whole thing happened with Panarin. Oh, yeah. Well, you had the McDavid game the other night. He was terrific. And Matthews and McKinnon. I mean, that was just, you know, just wildly entertaining in the way that these guys can play. And, uh, you know, then Luke Dubois, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois last night gets two goals, his first two goals for the Jets, including an overtime game winner. That was beautiful, that overtime. That was good news as as well. So, I mean, it's... uh, you know, we had we had Zajac and Crosby both get to a thousand games, and obviously Sidney Crosby. We know it, he's been well documented, but I want to give a tip of the cap to Travis Zajac because uh, you can't find a hard to find a nicer young man than Travis Zajac, and kind of under the radar, he just goes about his business. And uh, you know, I know the last several years for the Devils, there's been certainly a lot of ups and downs, but uh, Travis Zajac is a terrific person, and he's been a really good player. And to play a thousand games in this league is uh, is a difficult accomplishment. So I wanted to, you know, if you're giving me an opportunity, I, I'll take it to uh, <laughs> congratulate Travis Ajak on a quite an accomplishment. No, that that was. There's no question about it. That was a tough um, tough loss for the Devils. You kind of saw it coming. It, this is going to happen. It's like a it's like a holdout, right? Somebody doesn't play for a long time. They they they're full of energy the first couple of games, and then kind of slowly you start to see. 
this team hadn't played since January 31st. I was surprised that they beat Boston considering how emotional the victory was against the Rangers. But then you saw the letdown against Buffalo, and then just as that game yesterday started to wear itself down, three games in four nights, a superior opponent that they they, they were going to need more than just that that, that two-goal lead to be able to hold it. So I wasn't really surprised how it kind of fell apart for them in the third. You know, they got, well, listen, they got, to, they got to get better at killing penalties. I mean, their penalty oh, yeah. killing is dead Especially last. against a team like that. You know, it's below 60%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not good against anybody. You're underwater. You are underwater for sure when your penalty count is under sixty percent. So they gotta, they've got to improve in that area. But uh, you know, the Devils are a rebuilding group, and they've been a little ahead of schedule, at least in the way they've looked through the first bunch of games. But you're right, they missed some time, and they got. You know, the other thing too, Johnny, they added players back into the lineup. Like you know, Zajac had been away, and uh, Gusov had been out, and they so they moved guys back into the lineup. And you know, and he sure, and so that changes the dynamic of your team. I always hate changing a winning lineup. And you know, the they had beaten the Rangers, they had beaten the Bruins, and then they made three or four changes to the lineup for various reasons. Because you got to get those guys back in when they're healthy. And uh, you know, they they just didn't have the same jump um, on Saturday, especially early. I thought the Sabers were really focused on you know desperately needing a, a good performance and. I thought the Sabres were really much the better of the team for the first 40 minutes. Devils played better at the end. And then against the Caps, I mean, uh, you know, they had a lead and they just couldn't put it away. And then the penalty killing uh, really did hurt them again. EJ, it's always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, you got it, my friend. Have a good one. All right, that's the great EJ Raddick bringing a lot to the table today. And it's, it's never easy when a story breaks just a couple of hours ago and there's just so many moving parts with the Panarin situation, but I thought he brought a lot to the table there. Um, busy night tonight in the National Hockey League. Eight games starts with the Islanders and the Sabres. Uh, that uh, will be a 7 o'clock start. Stars playing for the first time since February 13th. They'll be in Florida to take on the Panthers. What a great game between the Hurricanes and the Lightning. Carolina coming off a shutout of Tampa over the weekend. Tampa's 10-4-1. Carolina 12-3-1. They've been uh, really playing tremendous tremendous hockey the carolina hurricanes and it's kind of been obscured but uh, it shouldn't be that's been um, a lot of fun that team to watch and can be very dangerous in the playoffs leafs and the flames look for a lot of goals there that's also a seven o'clock start at eight kings at the blues nine o'clock avalanche and the golden knights this time in colorado at nine o'clock ducks and the coyotes from phoenix and the sharks play host to the minnesota wild uh, we didn't get to any tweets today sorry kind of up against it um you know, a lot of people wanted to, to, to talk about the Panarin situation, which I think we did pretty much at length. So um, we'll try to get to as many of your tweets coming up on Wednesday when we do the podcast again. So we do apologize if we didn't get to uh, any of yours. I know some people upset we haven't gotten to some of theirs. We only usually have a, a very limited amount of time on the podcast to squeeze as many in. And sometimes uh, when people do tweet out questions, we kind of answer them during the course of the podcast before we get to your tweets. So we do apologize for that. But we'll be back again on Wednesday. Hopefully we'll have more uh, clarity on what's happening with the Rangers situation. But if not, we've still got lots of hockey to talk about. We'll be back with you again coming up on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.